0: Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. Our goal on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and actionable tools that you can implement with your teams right away. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'll be your host. Each episode, I'll interview a senior leader or a thought leader that will help you elevate your ability to lead people and drive your organization's strategy forward. Our partner is Cascade Strategy. They're our favorite tool for tracking and executing strategic plans, providing visibility for your entire team, and helping everybody have insight into where you're going and what you need to do to get there. If you're looking to improve your strategy execution, visit smestrategy.net slash cascade for a link for a free 90-day trial so you can see for yourself if you enjoy it and helps your team move forward. So with that, I want to thank you again for joining us and we'll get into today's guest. Hi there, everyone, ladies and gentlemen, people and folks. Thanks so much for joining us on today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, my guest is Mark Hirschberg. Oh, you can see his book on his cover, but I got one over here. He is a fractional CTO, speaker, author, MIT instructor. Mark, how's it going today? Going great. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to chat with you. I love the book. I gave a brief introduction about who you are, but why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about you and what excites you in life these days?
1: Yeah, quick background. I came out of MIT with a couple degrees back in the 90s, started my career as a software developer, and I've been a CTO at a number of tech companies as well as Fortune 500s who wanted to play startup and do some innovative things along the way i discovered there are all these skills that no one ever taught me but they were really important to get where i wanted to go i developed them in myself i realized this isn't just for executives it's for everyone leadership communication team building networking negotiation but they didn't teach anyone else on my teams either so i had to start training up my teams And around the same time, MIT came to the same conclusion. I wound up helping MIT put together a program referred to as our Career Success Accelerator. And I've been teaching there the past 20 years. That got turned into this book, which I now go and speak about a lot. So I've had these two parallel careers. I have my classic CTO, or now CTPO, Chief Technology Product Officer, doing standard tech startup-y stuff, but then also helping people improve their professional development, helping organizations really accelerate their whole team. Mm, That's awesome. So
0: why would an educational institution have to set up another program if that isn't like learning supposed to be at the core of what we do? Why was, how did that gap uh, happen? Do you think from your perspective?
1: Well, think about your college experience and it was built, colleges were built a couple hundred years ago really when you're let's say a marketing major that means the marketing professor said well if you want a degree we get to determine what gets you that degree and we've determined you have to take some of these classes no classes entry level intermediate advanced if you take all these marketing classes what do we say we say you get a marketing degree we're going to call you a marketer but that's it. it just says you've taken these classes it doesn't say you're a good marketer doesn't say you're a good teammate or you're a good leader the marketing people don't care about your leadership skills. They just care. Do you understand the four P's? So really, this college degree is very narrowly focused on just your discipline. And we know today yeah, that's not enough. So colleges weren't designed for that. I think they'll start changing, but it's going to take about 20 to 30 years. Mm. It's interesting because we work with a lot of education and, and I've been
0: doing this business for 10 years and you've been instructing for 20 years. But when you you prefaced your first thing, it's like college has been around for a lot longer than that. Like how much change have you seen in the marketplace of education over the past 20 years of being an
1: instructor at MIT? Very, very little. No, I think we're about to see a rapid change because people are starting to say, wait, why am I spending all these thousands of dollars if it's remote or if I can do it remotely? So that's a big open question. But we've moved to online courseware. Of course, MIT actually piloted early online courseware. It became EDX. That's been a change. But I think that's really the only one. Other than the standard tweaks to majors are slightly different. Really, college isn't that different today from what it was 50, even 100 years ago. Yeah, we're using tablets, more people are on campus, nicer facilities, but fundamentally, it hasn't changed that much. Hmm, I get that. So
0: maybe we can, because there's so many questions that I do have for you, but maybe we can look at our conversation in kind of two tracks. One being sort of the emerging professional who, in a lot of cases, still trying to figure out where they're trying to go and how they you know plan their multitude of opportunities and then later on we can talk about uh sort of the senior professional who has to support these emerging professionals how does that sound yeah good good dual track cool so emerging professionals there's a million and one options there's a dozen and one permutations in what they can do what are some of the sort of key takeaways you want for them as they start
1: charting their careers and and recognizing where they might have skills gaps What really surprises me is none of us would ever do a project, say a six month project at work, without creating a project plan. We know our bosses and managers all want to see that. But when it comes to our career, which is a lot longer than six months, when we have this 10, 20, 30 year career, we don't have a plan. So what you want to do is create that plan. Now, like your project plan at work, you know whatever you put down on paper, whatever you plan out, it's not going to work out exactly as planned and that's okay. So think of it almost like a project plan. I really spell out in detail how you can go step by step to do this. But think about what's your end goal? Where do you want to be in 15, 20, 30 years? And then what are the milestones along the way? If you want to be the CMO, the chief marketing officer, well, probably at some point, you're going to need to be a VP of marketing or director of marketing. And even beyond just, well, you have the title, what does that mean? That means you've driven revenue or lead generation, or you've managed events. What are those milestones you're going to need to achieve? And then back out that plan. What I'm gonna do in the next six to 12 months, but what am I looking at three to five years out, seven to 12 years out, and really create that plan, and then come back to it regularly and revise the plan as we do with all our project plans.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've learned as I've gone about this, when I talk about strategic planning, that some things that seem very, very obvious to me are not obvious to others. And it, you know, some people, they just, they go sort of reactively moving forward, but you had this really cool graph where it says that you could start here as a marketer, but you could either go this way or this way or this way, or this way. And it's sort of relied on, uh, and not just entry, but you know, you could be 10, 15 years in your career. It still applies. It relied on hard sales, Soft skills, enough to remember firm skills. Did I get that correct?
1: Yes, we've used the term firm skills at MIT. People have often talked hard skills and soft skills. Now, hard skills, of course, STEM, right? Science and engineering. Soft skills have always been a little amorphous and there's not a clear definition. So we've used the term firm skills. Uh, it's also obviously a play on words. And it's these more concrete skills because when you think about something like negotiation, that is a little more measurable. Leadership, there are ways to measure. It's a little fuzzier. That's different than, say, storytelling, which is actually an important skill, but I don't know how to measure storytelling, but I can measure some of these other skills. So we like the term firm skills.
0: No, I like it because it, it's, I mean, the soft skills people, I see, think, tend to resist the idea of soft skills because it's like, hey, how do I build my career on soft skills? And really, in, in my mind, it's trying to like current state, future state, you know, what are the kind of things that, that I need to do to bridge the gap? So, you know, in addition to being able to chart that future, what are the two or three things that you think are the or that you've seen are the biggest
1: needs from your students in terms of, of filling those gaps and being able to get to those next steps? The gaps that we have, and this comes from research we've done at MIT and similar research at other universities where we've asked companies, what are the skills that you want that you're not seeing? And it includes leadership, management, networking, negotiations, communications, ethics, team building. And I'm going to call it working effectively, which encompasses understanding corporate culture recognizing corporate politics and fitting in, understanding how you deliver value. So it's kind of a a catch-all topic. I also add to that in my book, interviewing, because if you think about it, we've talked a lot about interviewing. We all know when we were in college, we learned, okay, how, how do I do the case study interview? And how do I answer these trick questions? If you could be a vegetable, what would you be? How do I answer that? But we don't train people who are managers, who are on the other side of the table, how to interview candidates. And it's crazy when you think about, we always say people are so important. They're the most important part of our business. Well, finding and sourcing the right people is key. But if we don't know how to interview effectively, we don't hire effectively and we hurt our teams. And most of us get zero training in how we interview others. So I make sure to cover that in the book as well. Cool. So i want to ask you about the skills development, but I have another
0: interesting, I don't know how I want to position this. Okay. Uh, the balance between depth and breadth so you have specialty experience as a as a like a marketing person and then you have these firm skills that you want to develop and you're trying to figure out hey should i be a air quotes jack of all trades should i focus more deeply like what is the and i don't know if it's a a you approach an mit approach to doing the sort of opportunity cost equation from where to improve your skills and i
1: don't know if you'll be able to explain that audioly. (laughs) <laughs> the way I think about it is an example that comes from my friend Charles lerson he's a professor who I've taught with for many years at MIT he said think of it this way we're gonna do a little bit of middle school math here we're gonna do a word problem which I know everyone loves imagine you have a rectangle that's four by ten and you have to increase one of the sides by two units what do you increase the short side do you go four to six or the long side do you go 10 to 12 so I'm gonna let them think think I'm gonna let them think about it four by ten do you increase the long side or do you increase the
0: short side? So like process that in
1: your head for a second, listeners, and then Mark, go ahead. And hit pause if you need to take time to think about that. Well, the answer is you increase the short side. You go from four to six. You know, okay, six times 10, 60, that's bigger. Great. Okay, what does this have to do with what we're talking about? Well, let's think conceptually what this is. When you add those two units to the short side, those two units get multiplied by that long side, by those 10 units. Right. So we're amplifying that little increase by the long side. Now, all of us have short sides and long sides. Let's think of a simple example. Maybe you are a genius at what you do. You are the best accountant in the world. You're a genius and you really know this, but you don't know how to speak to non-accountants. You don't know how to do public speaking at all. So you're a genius coming up with all these really smart financial techniques but you can't explain it to anyone because your communication skills are so poor. So you are really long, but you're also very narrow, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you think about your total area, that's small. When you spend a little more time becoming a bearer presenter, not the world's greatest speaker, but just you can communicate better. All of a sudden that long side becomes so much more powerful by that small short side. All of us have long sides and short sides, more than two. In fact, if you want to become well-rounded, really you want to get closer to that square. Instead of being long and thin, you want to work on some of your short sides, right? Because that's going to amplify the skills that you have. Now, it's not to say if you're an accountant, well, you better take some continuing education credits because accounting changes. I work in tech. I always have to keep up with new technologies. We do continue to develop our long sides, but put some time into the short side. Because when you think about myself as a technologist, Ten hours that I invest learning yet another software language, whatever the hottest thing is, I get a marginal return compared to 10 hours of getting much better at speaking or negotiating or leading. Hey,
0: sorry to interrupt. It's Anthony here again. I just wanted to let you know if you're enjoying today's episode, I'd love it if you could give us a review and a comment to let us know where you're listening from. It means a lot to us. It helps us with the algorithm. It also helps us get into the hands of more people so that we can keep bringing great guests onto the show. So please do that. Also, if you or your team are planning a strategic planning offsite coming up, please reach out to us. We'd be happy to see if we're a fit to facilitate to support you and your team getting on the same page and getting about where you want to go. So you can visit smestrategy.net or click the link in the description. We'd appreciate both of those things. Now, get us back to the episode. That makes a lot of sense. It's one of the things. So as a company, we facilitate strategic planning sessions and we can do the strategic planning really well. And then on the backside, we say, hey, in addition to just like strategy implementation, you need to expand your team's capacity to implement strategy. You need to understand the culture. You need to be communicators. You need to be good at roles and responsibilities. You need to be leaders. You sort of learn it, or at least in my experience, I've seen it, you're learning it anecdotally. You're certainly learning it over here without it being tied to an internal organizational goal. So you talked about the importance of skill development. You talked about the importance of being in, interviewing people. Now, if we slip switch from like the sort of senior leader side, how do you see that being I guess doable on a day to day basis, but you know, why is it important for teams and
1: organizations to invest in that capacity overall? Yeah. Great question. As you know, with your clients, you could give them a great strategy, but if they have a very conservative risk avoidant culture and you've got a new strategy and they're not aligned to execute on that strategy, that strategy is not great. So you have to help them change their, their capability. Now, we, as leaders, often want to elevate the capabilities of our teams. Wouldn't it be great if people on our teams were better leaders, better negotiators, better networkers, right? It's not all on me to bring in new clients and network and reach out. So imagine if your whole team even got just a couple percent better, right? Imagine if they were only 2 3% better at communicating, at leading. What's that, what's that going to do your bottom line? Now, well, if it's more than 2 or 3%. So how do we do this? Well, the key thing, these firm skills are different than what we have learned in the past. If you think about college, where you took that marketing class or calculus class, the professor stood up and wrote on the board, here's the things to remember. And you wrote down your notepad and you said, "Okay, great, I'm going to remember this. And then when you ask me the question, I know when to give it to you. If you teach me an accounting system, when do I use that knowledge? Well, when I'm filing an expense report. But when it comes to leadership, we can't say, well, here are the three things to remember. So write these down. Oh, and next week at 2.57 p.m., you go, oh, leadership time. OK, what are those three skills? It's not so simple. So we have to teach these differently. It's closer to how we learn sports, right? Now, the thing about if you're learning a new sport is, first, you can't just say, well, I read the book, done. You have to actually apply it. And second, you can't say, well, yeah, I did that basketball clinic last week. Now I'm done, right? I don't need more training. You have to continually practice and try. So the way we want to approach these skills is to create peer learning groups within our organizations. So you want to create groups. I recommend groups of about six to eight people, but I give ways where you can do this. If you want to do larger groups of 20, 30 people, or even larger still of 50 to 80 people, you create these groups, you give them content. And yes, you can use my book. I Tell you how you can chop it up and say all right we're going to read this chapter and then we're going to discuss it and here are some questions here's how we're going to talk about because it's in that discussion now you and i are talking about leadership i say oh i i have this tough problem you can give me advice or we talk about you have an example from years ago and that's how i'm going to learn because next to doing it myself learning in effectively case studies as we talk is really helpful and now here's the thing i said you can use my book and i give you how to chop it up you can do this without my book. If you, if you take the download on the website, you can use other books, you can use articles, you can use a great podcast like this one and have your team listen to this podcast each week and then discuss the topic of the podcast. So it's about having shared content and then doing that discussion around it. And when you do that, Not only do you elevate your team, you increase employee engagement, you help them improve their internal networks because they're gonna meet more people in the company and work with them, and you are creating a common language because everyone can refer to that book or that podcast, that analogy, where you can all use that square analogy, the rectangle analogy we used either go, oh, right, it's like the rectangle. So you get these four great benefits of elevating your team, creating a common language, improving engagement, and improving your internal network by creating these internal peer learning groups. Yeah, and I think that that's awesome. And one of the biggest things like I've seen, uh, common language, because
0: it's tied to culture, helps indoctrinate that change, versus just like, hey, we took this two-hour seminar. I think the importance for, and I'd be interested to get your perspective on that, the importance for that learning to stick is, yeah, the repetition, but also uh,
1: embedded in the culture. Anything you wanna add on that, Mark? Oh, absolutely. When you say, I'm going to send you to this two-hour seminar, you're like, okay, check, I've learned to be a leader. No, you haven't. We know repetition works, and that's why having this peer learning group that meets, say, once a week or every other week for even just 30, 45 minutes, really helps. And for this reason, I actually create a free app that goes along with the book. Because I know if you read my book or you have your team read my book, it's easy to forget. I forget my books. you know, Any book <laughs> I read, I forget three weeks later, right? We're moving on to something else. There's actually a free app you can download from the Android and iPhone store And what we'll do, once you open it, you just need to open it once every 30 days so we know you're still active, it will pop up a tip every day, just a little notification. So think like a daily affirmation just Mm -hmm. shows up. But instead of, you know, believe in yourself, it has the tips from the book to help reinforce it, to help create that recall. And that's going to help you learn and adapt and pick up these skills as well. Yeah, I was going to make a joke and say, you're talking about practice, Mark. (laughs) Um,
0: But anyways, I still did it. The book is on sale on Amazon right now. So you can get it. That is absolutely a plug. It's actually a really good book. Not that I'm surprised. Uh, Very easy to read. So please do check it out for leaders. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit here, leading a technology project. When you put a technology project, how easy is it to sell the
1: ROI of it in your experience? it can vary because the roi could be hey if we add this button this many customers are asking for it and we can close more sales or it will generate this much more revenue but then of course in technology we know there's that infrastructure there's that support some things might be you know we've we've taken some legacy code we've got technical debt and we're paying down technical debt, and it's hard to show the ROI. It's hard to say, if we invest 100 hours, we're gonna save exactly three hours a week going forward. That's a little fuzzier. So it can really vary. And if you're a technical person, you need to learn to put this into non-technical terms, some sense of cost and risk. If you are a non-technical person, recognize that there is this concept of technical debt. And like normal debt, it's okay to take some on. I'll go in debt to buy a house or to go to college, But I have to make sure I pay it down over time. So when you have debt, you can't just say more features, more features, spend more. At some point, you have to service that debt and pay it down. Interesting. So I'm going to take it back now. How
0: easy is it when, it when you talk about the costs and risks and the knowledge debt of ROI, how easy is it to, to like look at those investments when you're looking like organizationally potentially, I mean, even at a senior leadership team when they're really busy or a middle manager, you know, how do you justify that ROI and then reduce
1: the knowledge debt? Because I've never heard that before. One of the key things, and I talk about this in the communication chapter, is we have to recognize we speak different languages. If I, as a CTO, said, Well, you know, our database isn't scalable because we're not sharded well, I goes, What? Well, okay, is, is that important? Do we need to shard? Right? And I can throw out technical terms, but that doesn't explain it to them. If instead I can use an analogy in their domain, if I could say, well, what we're going to do is get a faster response time by having a more efficient database, and we see that there's a fall off, I can talk to the customer service team and say, you know, you've been getting 10% of your complaints are about the responsiveness of the website. Okay, now I'm putting it into a domain, into a model you understand, and that makes it easier for you to grasp and buy into this. All of us, not just technologists, but people in finance, in sales and customer success marketing, we all have both language, but also just mental models, the way we think about things, the way we think about the world, and being able to speak in these other languages and communicate in that makes us all more effective, particularly when you are a senior leader because you're talking across disciplines as opposed to someone just mostly focusing on his or her own team. So imagine, for example, if you're going to France and you're speaking in front of a bunch of people and you don't speak French, say okay well i'm going to speak in english as i would have to do so everyone there everyone in france who speaks french says well okay i've learned english so they sit there and listen to my message but what do they do they have to spend a little extra effort to go okay right that's the english and i translate that into french into my native language so i'm putting a mental tax on my entire audience i think of it like a server where you just say well 10 percent of your cpu is wasted on this translation so you don't get hundred percent capacity If, however, I did speak French, I can go there and speak in French, they don't need that tax. They don't need to waste that 10%, and 100% of their capacity could be focused on getting the message, not doing the translation. And so all of us, whenever we're speaking, whether we're doing public speaking formally at some event, or we're just talking to a coworker, being able to translate, to speak in the other person's language means less tax, and we get more of their mental capacity to focus on the message we are providing. It's interesting. I found it's, uh,
0: people don't realize it. They, everybody always thinks in upside and they don't ever think in the downside costs of not being able to work with each other. And it's like, that whole friction. I mean, I have tons of metaphors, you know, car metaphors or whatever, but that's, well, that's what it is. It takes a lot of time and it's time, money, energy that you're not spending moving forward. It's time, energy that you're spending moving around in circles. Any other experience? Have you seen that from your
1: corporate experience, like working in teams, like any other practical takeaways? Lots of them. And one is look at your meetings. Meetings often become zombie meetings. They start for this reason, but then, oh, we start looping in this and you know, three months later, we still have the same meeting, but it's used for a different purpose. And because we never formally thought about, well, we don't exactly have all the right people in here. Ultimately, when it comes to management, you need as a manager, I, I break down leadership and management differently in the book, but I say at the end, look, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. So I'm gonna use the term manager, manager, but leader, manager. Your job is to make sure the right people are having the right conversations at the right time. That is one of the key principles of management, making sure the right people have the right conversations at the right time. So when you think about your meetings, think about what is the point of this meeting? What conversation are we supposed to be having? Is it sharing information? Is it deciding things? Let's be clear on that. And do we have the right people in on the meeting? And when you do that, look across your entire set of meetings and say, do these meetings still make sense? Because probably their meetings have started years ago that just kind of still hang around. So start from a clean slate and say, should this meeting be weekly, biweekly, different set of people, ad hoc? And you're going to improve what meetings you have and save people a lot of time. Awesome. I love that. So one more question uh, from me. And then we got one more from the chat
0: as managers and leaders that want to support their employees and their team members on this um, like skills elevation journey. But on a personal basis, how would a, a leader, how would a manager sort of assess and then support an
1: individual on their on their growth trajectory? Great question. Hopefully, your company does an annual review or semi-annual, and if not, it's worth doing that. And I don't mean the classic annual review of, okay, let's see how you're doing, and you're getting you know a 3% raise and check, check. Just even to talk about, hey, what are your goals? With everyone I hire, everyone I manage what are your goals? Tell me even five, 10 years from now, where do you want to be? I know you're not going to be at my company. I'm at a startup. No one spends 10 years at a startup. Let's just talk about where you're going and let's talk about what I, as your manager, can do to help you get there. And some of that might be in the short term. Oh, in the next year, you want to get better at your teamwork? Okay, we're going to talk about that. We're going to come up with a plan or it could just be in the next seven years, you want to get more onto the product side okay, I'll try to bring you into some meetings. Some of that might happen years from now. But you need to be clear where you are as an individual and as a manager, help the person get clarity. Then be explicit, like, okay, this is what we both understand you're trying to do. Are there things you can do, whether it's sending them to training or just as you have your check-ins, because hopefully you're having a check-in at least every quarter, if not once a month, and talk about, well, you want to get better at, you know, understanding product, or you want to get better at your communication, let's talk, what have you been doing? How's that been going? Are there other things I can do to help you? So be explicit when you do that annual review, what are the goals? And then during your conversations, just check in and ask what support you can provide or offer ideas to your your team. Yeah, I
0: love that. I find that it goes back to your, you know, your speaking French analogy. I find that most effective leaders speak in the language of the people that they're talking to. And instead of saying, hey, what can you do for the company? Like first and foremost, which I think a lot of people might bring to the table. It's, hey, how can I help you get to where you want to go? You're going to have higher retention. You're going to have higher productivity. You're going to get a greater ROI on your training dollars because You're training them in the areas that they want to be developed in. So they're more incentivized to take it instead of having to do some sort of mandatory thing that they don't really want to do. Sometimes you need to do that. But Mark, where can people get a hold of you? Where can people get the book? Somebody said if they don't have Kindle, what can they what can they do? So maybe
1: you can answer that one at the same time here. Sure. You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. And there, of course, you can learn more about the book. You can follow me on social media or touch with me. You can see where to buy the book. You can go to Amazon. Amazon actually is selling the hard copy at this particular moment for 55% off. It's an amazing sale. So you can do that. I don't know how long it will last. If you want an electronic version, you don't want Kindle, it's also available on Apple Books. Barnes & Noble, supposedly, but we've had lots of technical problem getting the electronic version there. So I know the electronic is definitely available on Amazon and on Apple Books. Uh, Also on the website, if you go to the app page, it's going to take you to links to the Google and Android store. You can download the free companion app. Whether or not you buy the book, you can go download that app. And then there's a resources page with lots of great free online resources, links to other books. And the first resource on that page is how you can create that peer learning program at your company. Completely free download. You can use my book if you want. You can use other books or other things. You can download that and use whatever content you want. All of this is available on my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. And
0: closing word, do you have any, a challenge for our listeners? We got a couple months left in the year. Any challenges you want to throw out to them to support them in
1: developing either their own skills, their people skills, or anything else? Pick one skill. We talked about a lot. We talked about networking, communication, leadership. There's a lot to do, but of course you don't say I'm going to quit smoking and go to the gym and wake up early and eat better. You don't do it all at once. Pick one, pick one skill right now and say, I am going to invest even just 30 minutes every other week in improving this skill. I'm gonna listen to a podcast, I'm gonna read a book, I'm gonna read an article and focus on improving that skill. Try that for three months and see how it goes. Awesome, Mark. I
0: appreciate that so, so much. I think it's great advice for everybody. I think there's so much wealth in the book, early career, mid-career, late career. uh, There's gold throughout it and everything is about shifting your path just a little bit. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a blast having you today. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Folks, join me in thanking Mark Hirschberg, who is a fractional CTO, the author of The Career Toolkit and an MIT instructor. Mark has been awesome. Be sure to check out his book and go to careertoolkitbook.com for all of those resources. And if you're interested, our next live event is going to be with Mike McDermott, who is the co-founder of FreshBooks and their company was recently valued at $1 billion. So you can register right in the chat or in the description below. My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been The Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. And until next time, bye, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that'll help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it. It'll help your team think more strategically and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's gonna give you a plan that you can execute successfully. If you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good but are missing key components to make them successful, And we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. Course is only $4.95 and you can get instant access to all of the videos, plus you can use the code podcast for $100 off course comes with a 100% money back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course, use the code podcast for $100 off. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time.